Welcome to People of Hope, a conversation on finding joy in all things with the pastoral staff of Ignatius House Jesuit Retreat Center in Atlanta, Georgia. Tonight we have uh, back with us Father Joe Lingen, who is on staff here at Ignatius House, and we'd like to introduce you to Sister Susan Arcaro, a cynical sister who has been offering retreats at Ignatius House for years. Ignatian spirituality is a primary element of her congregation's spirituality. And our topic this evening is finding joy in religious life. And while I spent three years as a Jesuit, I will allow Joe and Susan to be the primary conversationalists tonight, um, perhaps chiming in uh, from time to time. But I've asked Sister Susan to uh, open us with a prayer, and then both of them will offer their own thoughts and reflections on religious life. Sister Susan. Thank you. Loving and gracious God, thank you. Thank you for you. Thank you for your love and the countless blessings you give us day after day. Help us to live this moment and each moment of our lives with joy and gratitude. Give us the grace to wholeheartedly serve you in our everyday lives. Teach us to recognize the many ways you make your spirit known, to listen to the voice of your spirit in silence, to wait peacefully for the fiery thunder of grace, calling us to serve your people with joy, humility, and wonder. We ask this through Christ our Lord, amen. Thank you, Susan and Andy, thank you. I presume to begin tonight's reflection. I believe that we share a common vocation, namely to be the person God created us to be. Nothing more, but more importantly, nothing less. At first glance, this may seem like a selfish ambition, but in reality, it's not. In fact, it's hard work requiring intentionality, perception, reflection, fidelity, openness to growth in self-awareness, engagement with and attention to others, and a degree of courage. Finally, a vocation, it seems to me, requires time and grace. What I just offered applies to everyone who seeks to pursue and discover his or her vocation. This understanding is based on my own pursuit and experience of my vocation, as well as my experience with everyone, both young and old, I've had the privilege to accompany as he or she sought and discerned his or her vocation. As for religious life, it's not for everyone. Just like married life isn't for everyone or the single life, isn't for everyone. But I have been most fortunate and blessed in religious life, and I am most grateful. As a teenager and then as a young adult, it took me a while to appreciate that I like helping people. And while I acknowledge that I am a religious and a priest, I do not see myself as a pious soul or a holy roller by any means. However, I do acknowledge without hesitation that my relationship with Jesus is most important to me. 
Jesus is the inspiration behind my desire to be of help to others. And my relationship with Jesus is what led me to first consider the possibility of being a priest. It's that simple and for me that profound. I did not have a near-death experience or a moment of great epiphany or a dramatic moment of conversion in my life. In high school, I learned about Ignatian prayer and I continued to pray while I was in college. And it was during my college year that uh, years that my sense of friendship and affection for Jesus grew significantly. And I acknowledge that I considered it a very personal and private matter. It was between me and Jesus. Later on in college, as I looked ahead to a post-college life or career, if you will, priesthood entered my mind. And while I did not take this as a call or something I especially wanted, it was the case that the more I looked into it, the more I was drawn toward it, especially when I looked at religious life and more particularly at the Society of Jesus. I entered the Jesuits after graduating from college and two years later, at the age of 23, I pronounced my vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. I stated then and I state now that I did so because I love Jesus. Since that vow day in 1981, I have grown in my knowledge of and my appreciation and affection for each person of the Blessed Trinity. Further, I now know that the Trinity has a deep knowledge of and appreciation and affection for me, and this realization consoles me greatly. As a Jesuit, I've had the opportunity to meet and to learn the stories of so many people to hear their hopes and desires, as well as their disappointments and failures. So many have shared their faith lives, their experience of wonder and doubt about God, as well as their hope. And to meet someone on that level is such a great privilege and a source of genuine joy for me. When someone shares with me their story, when they confide in me their hopes, their fears, their dreams, and their hurts, I often come to understand why God loves them. And I experience how God is loving me in that moment of honesty and confidence. What a joy. There have been moments when I believe I see what God sees and am moved to even love what God loves. In such moments, I better understand beauty and truth and God. And I grasp a little more God's intention with creation and God's hope for humanity. Further, I better understand what Jesus meant when he said to his disciples, May my joy be in you and your joy complete. I do believe very strongly that we are to care for and to help one another. Jesus' life and lessons make that very clear. Being a religious better enables me to do just that. And that is a cause of great joy for me personally. 
Now, I could certainly say a lot more about religious life, but I will conclude these remarks by saying simply that this religious life makes me genuinely happy and helps me recognize and realize that I am blessed and deeply loved. Thank you. I describe my life as a woman religious as my miracle of love. And although I do not remember when I first felt the call to religious life, my mother did. And she would often tell people that her Susie came home from school on the first day of kindergarten and said, Mom, you gave half of your heart to God and half to Daddy. But I'm going to give my whole heart to God and be a sister. Well, that was really fine and dandy, except in my growing up years, I really wasn't an angel with wings. I sometimes got in trouble. I sometimes fell and nicked my knees. I was just a happy little girl. But always in the back of my mind, I wanted to be like the sisters who taught me. I was taught by the Sisters of the Holy Spirit in grade school. And they left a mark on me of happiness, joy, and complete devotion to their religious life as well as to their ministry. Shortly after I graduated high school, I entered the novitiate of the Felician Franciscan Sisters in Enfield, Connecticut. And I was drawn to that congregation by two significant hallmarks which marked their spirituality. And it was a spirit of reparation, as well as a deep love for the Eucharist. It wasn't long after I was in my second year of formation, however, that I began to realize God was calling me elsewhere, and I didn't know what to do with it. It took me 15 years to discern God's call. And in the meantime, I lived my life fully in community and as an educator and musician. And for me, the younger the children, the happier I was. So that unlike other people who go up the ladder, I went down the ladder. I began teaching children in third grade, then second grade, then first grade, and then I studied Montessori and taught children two and a half years old to six. Further studies led me into the classroom, the Montessori classroom with children 18 months to 34 months. And I also enjoyed ministering and teaching these littlest people among God's people. But something was missing in me. By the end of my 14th year as a Felician Franciscan sister, I was certain that God was leading me into a deeper contemplative spirit and one that is immersed in prayer and from which our ministry would flow. Simply said, through my former congregation, I, God led me into the Senegal Sisters. It was a congregation I was familiar with since my childhood because my mom was part of the um, many women 
who drove there every month for St. Joseph's Guild of Working Women. And all I remember of the Senecal in my childhood was the very tall Christmas tree in the living room with balls that were as big as a globe. To make my story short, I've been a Senecal sister for 44 years, and nearly 27 of them have been lived right here in Atlanta. And as a Senecal sister, I have traveled and I continue to travel to parishes to offer spiritual direction days and evenings of prayer, retreats. My first love, I have to admit, is serving on the staff as an adjunct member, directing retreats and meeting with people in spiritual direction at Ignatius House. Well, I'm not five years old anymore, but I still have that ardent desire to give God my whole heart. And I work at it day by day. Some days are great, some days are wonderful, some days are so-so, and some days just aren't days. But what I do know is that I frequently believe God went out of God's way to lead me into God's heart and into God's self. And would I change anything in my life? I wouldn't change a minute of it. If I weren't a Felician Franciscan sister early on in my religious life, I wouldn't be the cynical sister I am today. And I'd like to think that I'm a fantastic cynical sister. But seriously, I am happy. I am happy in my life as a woman religious. I am happy in my life as uh, a woman who is sharing in the mission of the church and in Jesus, and that is making Jesus known and loved with the people with whom I minister. I am happy for the many people I meet in my ministry, like Father um, Joe. I, too, am humbled and awed with each story that I hear and become part of simply by listening. So I am happy to be with you tonight to share with you the goodness of God in my life, to share my miracle of God's love as I describe my life as a sister But I think we all have a miracle of love to celebrate, to give us joy and happiness in spite of what is happening in the world within our lives. So to each of you, I say thank you for listening to my story and to know that you too have a miracle. Search for it. Thank you. Thank you both. You know, Joe, you talked about this sort of wonder and doubt, and I thought that's a a beautiful contrast, actually. And I wonder how you each have experienced both wonder and doubt personally in in your religious life. Well, thank you, Andy, for the question. And if I may just add before answering, Susan, I think you are a fantastic cynical sister uh, to affirm that. Uh, but Andy, you know, it's, it's interesting. It, it is, as I mentioned in my remarks, it is, uh, I think when we talk about matters of faith, when we talk about our spiritual selves, we're talking about something that is most intimate and personal. And sometimes it's difficult to articulate or to talk about it because it is so 
intimate and personal. And as someone who does spiritual direction and, and worked with vocations and whatnot, it, it is really such an extraordinary privilege when someone shares at that level that is so personal and intimate. And like, I think this is a very human experience in practically every love relationship. There is wonder and there is doubt. I mean, I think we possess this great desire to love and to be loved. And I don't know how many times over the years I've met with young and old uh, who, when they are talking about their intimate relationships, whether it be with God or with a beloved, they do wonder and they question, is what I'm feeling real, both for the person and from the, the other, as it were? for another person and from the other. And I think that the very same questions, because they're such human questions, apply to our relationship with God. I mean, we know the rhetoric, if you will, the, the faith rhetoric that God loves us. So while we may know that, to experience it is something different. To experience it is to come to really know it. And, and that generates some questions. Is what I'm experiencing real? Is, is what I'm experiencing true? And, and, and it's a wonderful thing. Or, and then here is the doubt. Is, is what I'm experiencing of my own imagination? Or, or is, is this God that I'm experiencing? And one of the privileges I have is, is helping people to see for themselves that Yes, this is of God. This is God, what you're experiencing. And, and to encourage them to continue to be open to, with such wonder to such experience. Susan? You said it all. <laughs> <laughs> However, <laughs> wonder. I think my wonder and my doubt blends together of two sides of one coin. There have been times, not when I've doubted my call to serve and to live my life as a woman religious, but the doubt has come in of, I'm not worthy enough. Who am I to stand in your name? Who am I to express to another person what I believe you feel? How dare I tell another, you know, God loves you no matter what. God will not love you any more than today, nor any less. God's love is a freeing love. It's an unconditional love. And that gives me the most joy when someone discovers, or believes, I should say, that God loves them just as they are. And that, for me, causes me such wonder, gratitude, because I know of myself I can't do that. I know it's the spirit within me that gives me the words at times, that gives me the urge to be silent at other times, to listen, to be still. But the doubt that comes in once in a while is a feeling of my unworthiness, to stand in God's name and to speak of God's love. 
but I know that's what I'm called for. So I put my step footstep forward and believe that the spirit is with me in that too. So I think there's, you know, the two, the wonder and the awe. And with the wonder and the awe for me comes humility. I feel so humbled when another person or persons with whom I'm speaking share the intimacy of their hearts with me. And there again, it's why me, Lord? And the answer I think I hear from Jesus is just because. You know, certainly in marriage, there's, there's experiences of wonder and doubt as well. And, um, you know, to, to bring up a question, actually, that um, uh, Maria Kresser, executive director, actually just asked, kind of ties into something I was thinking about. Last week with Maria and John, we were talking about marriage. And, um, you know, I often think about how marriage is sometimes in popular culture um, treated as a burden uh, or, you know, ball and chain, that kind of thing. And that we sometimes, we don't make, we don't, don't always make marriage look attractive, and Maria's question here is, is, did you or do you ever think about what you gave up, right? That people sometimes see religious life or priesthood as, as really about giving up a personal freedom. And so it doesn't, doesn't always seem attractive. So how, how, do you, how do you make religious life attractive? I'm not really sure that I, I think of it in those terms. I, if I may, I'll, I'll come back to the question and, I, I really appreciate the comment that you made, Andy, about uh, giving up. I, what I've noticed when I've been teaching in high school and college, that younger people tend to see religious life as giving up one thing or another. And I, I've never felt that way. That being said, uh, I will acknowledge that at one particular point in my religious life, I experienced tremendous uh, awareness that I was not going to be a father and a parent. And it was not, to be clear, it was not that I went through a vocation crisis at that moment, but it was something from a very human perspective I needed to acknowledge and, and process, if you will. And the process I went through, in, in all honesty, was a grief of, of of that reality. Because as a young person, as a young kid, I mean, my model was my father and my parents, and I wanted to be a father and a, a husband, etc. And my life didn't go in that direction. And there were times when I wondered, well, why didn't it go in that direction? And I have this desire to be a parent. And I came, and I'll make this a long story short, but I came to the realization that whatever we choose in life, and I think this is true of married life as well, it does require an offering that you, for example, in religious life, I offered up the prospect of being someone's husband or, and or uh, being a parent. Um, whereas I think someone who commits themselves to marriage gives up or offers up the possibility of, of partnering with several other or one other person, but they commit themselves to this person. And so there's an offering there of themselves to this person. And I, again, I don't see myself as overly pious, but when I made my offering of my vows to Jesus and our vow formula is, uh, it, it's to God. And, and I was very conscious that day of, of saying to God, because I love you, I, I offer to you poverty, chastity, and obedience. 
at the same time, I'm, I'm conscious of the fact that I, I think if, I hope I make religious life attractive by revealing and showing that I am happy in this life. And as I said in my remarks, I realized this life is not for everybody, nor would I ever claim that it is. But it is for me, and, and I'm very, very happy with it. And I hope that that happiness and that joy is reflected in, in how I conduct myself in my ministry. And as Susan was indicating as well, it is such an extraordinary privilege uh, uh, to enter into people's lives the way I have the opportunity to do through my ministry uh, I recognize the privilege of it. I recognize that in that moment, I'm not to be too arrogant, but I, I'm, I'm God's instrument there, that, that I'm there uh, privileged to hear what people choose to share of themselves. And, and it's, it, I get sometimes feel the hair on my arms stick out, and, and I realize this is a sacred moment. And... Um, uh, finally, if I may, and this sounds kind of silly to say this, but it wasn't until I was ordained a priest that when I started functioning as a priest and realized that in the most significant moments of people's lives, people's faith comes out, whether it's at birth or at the other end of life at death or marriage and, and baptisms and, and whatnot. It's, it's such an extraordinary privilege to share those beautiful moments in people's lives and, and to have the privilege to enter into that is just such a gift. I talked too long, sorry. Susan, please. Well, actually you stole a lot of what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> But it's interesting how there were two things that you said that I can identify with. I don't use the word give up. Um, a very precious charism of my congregation through our foundress, St. Therese Goudier, is self-surrender. Mm -hmm. And not the self-surrender where I'm bound, but the self-surrender where I give freely to my God. And what I know I have surrendered and that has caused me pain off and on. And I remind myself I surrendered. It was my ability to have children. It was to be in a mother, to hold my child, to teach my child, to have a child. And I often remind God that I surrendered that for him. So he had better treat me well. <laughs> but seriously um even though i'm past the age of being able to bear a child it still is a surrender of mine that i offer to god and again with my whole heart to be a parent as you said um joe you know and the second was that in Living my vows, I have found that my vows are a source of nourishment for me, of life, not at all giving up. Certainly, someone who is single has greater freedom than I do, but someone who is married may or may not. But the freedom is to give myself totally to others in our ministry, in our communities, wherever we meet people. 
um, I can love a whole lot of women and men. You know, it, my the, my heart's big enough to do that. Amen. But, but <clears throat> so the many friendships that I do have with women and men and my love for the little children when I have an opportunity, um, it reminds me of that surrender I've given to God freely and I give it to him over and over and over again. And I suspect I will till I breathe my last breath. Well said, Susan. I couldn't agree with you more in what you just offered there. You know, again, what I was saying about the privilege that we have, I, I think if I had a marriage commitment, I wouldn't be available in the same way that I'm able to be and the freedom that the vows allow me to be uh, so open and available to go. And I have to say this with great sincerity that I really want to be where Christ is waiting for me. And that desire is very strong. Um, and, and my religious life, my vowed life allows me to do that. And um, I, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm articulating it very clearly or well, but I can certainly say the desire runs very deep. And uh, I think it is of God and I am most grateful for it. Um, yeah. It has to be from God, Joe, because if who we are as a religious man, a woman religious, if, it, if we aren't rooted in God and in God's love, Literally, my life is, as my niece told me many years ago, a waste of life. And it's far from being a waste of life. Because God is rooted in us and in our call, in what we are and what we do. Um, so I'm grateful for faith to believe. You know, you mentioned your niece. And if I may just share this anecdote, I say this with certain pride in my family, I'm the favorite uncle. <laughs> and, and I think one of the reasons for that is I'm not distracted by my own kids when we're all together. That I can really be attentive and present and aware uh, and loving, I hope, mm -hmm. to all my nephews and nieces and now grandnephews and grandnieces. Uh, and it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's just wonderful. It uh, is wonderful. I can sense the joy. <laughs> and even as you're sharing of, of the ways that you have to surrender, you find joy in that. And um, Maria was commenting again on, on Facebook here, but, uh, and I agree that a lot of the things that you're talking about um, are true in marriage as well, you know, because it's a love relationship. It's a love relationship that continues to grow um, in joy. Absolutely. And, and to say that is not in any way to diminish the work that love requires. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that that's genuinely true of religious life as well as of married life. And, and sadly, I think people will begin to lose track of their vocation, whether it be to marriage or religious life, be, because they, they're not willing to do the work that that requires. Uh, but there's such a reward in doing that I, I time and time again you know i go back to what you had said susan a moment ago uh and i had to kind of laugh because any number of times i've said to god hey this was your idea i need some help here uh, and it it requires a certain surrender 
on my part. And, and that's not always the easiest thing for me to do. Uh, but when I get to that point, I, there's always a grace for me in that. And it's a great reminder. Usually the spirit is just waiting for me to let go and mm -hmm. to surrender. And, uh, uh, and I'm I'm always so pleasantly surprised and and once again reminded, you know that that this is of God and uh, it both affirms and and kind of bolsters my faith and deepens it a little bit more. Um, That's true. You know, one of the things that I said to Susan and I'd be curious to hear what you think about this. I one of the things that I've come to really deeply appreciate, and I say this in gratitude to the Jesuits. Uh, as you may know, our formation is very long, and at least so people say. And um, I always felt in the course of my formation that I was exactly where Christ wanted me to be. So when I was a novice, even though I felt a call to priesthood, I thought in that moment, God is calling me to be a novice. And then later on as a scholastic, I thought God is calling me to be a, a scholastic at this point. But one of the things that I came to gradually realize is that I um, really have come to enjoy growing. And now as I'm getting older, uh, I, I would say that I, I still have a lot to learn. And, and by God's grace, I, I, I will learn. And, uh, and I look forward to, to growing older, if that be God's will. And I know what that's going to mean. I know it's going to mean some diminishment, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, uh, but I, I'm, I look forward to it. I'm, I'm open and uh, confident that God is going to continue to grace me and allow me to continue to learn uh, and reveal more. I would agree with you, um, Joe. And actually, um, the question was, you know, what kind of what image do we offer people of religious life? And I like to think it's first and foremost, and you said it, to let there be happiness. You know that song, if, there's ha if you're happy, clap your hands, let, you let show it on your face. Sure. That people would see us as happy people. Yes, we get tired sometime. Yes, we get discouraged sometime, as everybody does. But to be interiorly happy, that comes out in the way we live our lives and the way we interact with others. Um, but I know for myself, I, I, am, I still continue to be in awe of my call and of the way God has called me. And I hear God say so frequently in my own prayer, I don't hear voices. <laughs> am I enough for you? Am I enough for you? And actually, I do say, yes, Lord, you are enough for me. But sometimes there's the moment when I say, no, you're not. I need a physical body. I need to see somebody. Being in this pandemic for 10 weeks alone has taught me I am not meant to be a hermit. <laughs> but I am meant to be among God's people and to share the love God has for me. Hmm. Thank you both. As a, as a way to conclude, just briefly, was there a, an element of Ignatian spirituality that drew you to the Jesuits or to the Seneca Sisters? I would say for myself, um, 
seeing God in all things. But then that's, that was also harmonized with the St. Francis seeing God in all creatures. So um, seeing God in all th- people, places, and things as Ignatius does, definitely. But as a congregation, as a, um, an Ignatian um, characteristic discernment is very much part of our prayer our decision-making individually and as a community. So Ignatius spirituality comes to life every time we meet for communal discernment or whether it's personal discernment and coupled with, you know, take Lord receive all I have is yours. So yes, very much um, Andy, very much so. Because my formation as a Seneca sister is rooted in Ignatian spirituality. Andy, as you might imagine, we could go on and on and on answering that particular question. But for me, I will say, first and foremost, as I mentioned in my opening remarks, that it was Ignatian prayer and that method of prayer that that first drew me to Jesus as a as a young person. And so first and foremost, it was this relationship that my prayer generated with Jesus that that was clearly the key. As I entered the Jesuits and experienced the spiritual exercises, and again, I could go on and on, but I would say when I consider, and I often think about this, and it has to do with what Susan said about finding God in all things, it's when I consider the principle foundation from the spiritual exercises, that there is so much of God in creation that I, I look at things so differently because of that. I look at things and I ask, so where is or what of God is being revealed there? And it, it really has impacted and affected the way I encounter the world, uh, if you will. Uh, and again, I could go on and on, but I think that's suffice to say. Thank you. Great, great answers. Thank you both um, for, for joining us this evening. And uh, thanks to you all for joining us. Um, As the Easter season ends, People of Hope will be moving to a monthly format. You can find us live on our Facebook page at 7.30 p.m. every third Thursday of each month. And um, glad uh, Sister Susan brought up discernment because that's going to be the topic of our next conversation, discernment in the Ignatian tradition. And so that's going to be on June 18th. So we hope you can uh, join us then. In the meantime... Visit us at IgnatiusHouse.org to learn about our new virtual and in-person retreats. Uh, Please be well and have a good night. Thanks for listening. Learn more about Ignatius House by visiting us at IgnatiusHouse.org or following us on social media. And be sure to subscribe to this wherever you listen to podcasts. May the blessing of God be with you always.